Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. Okay, here we go. Now put it in reverse. Got it. Now forward. Okay. Reverse. Now turn the wheel. Right. Turn the wheel. No, reverse. Left reverse. Right. Slow the out. Go kill it, kill it, kill the owner. There's a reason they say curse like a sailor. I said reverse. Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Well, we're docked now. Welcome to the NBA Front Office Show. I'm your host, Keith Smith. I know we had a little bit of a break there of a week that was extremely unintentional. So uh, just, you know, technical challenges happening. We, we you know, recorded a fantastic show. You'll just have to believe us that it was amazing. One of the best shows you will never hear. And it is, uh, but we are all good. And joining me, as always, our producer, Connor Elkan. We are recording today, right? Yeah, the problem was, is that, it wasn't recording last time. So, so, so we talked, we had a great podcast that was never a podcast. Um, and that is my fault. I will take blame for that, but we're coming back to you guys this week and I'm excited to get into it. Absolutely. And also with us, Pete Toll is here. Pete, how are you? I'm doing great. Wish it was better than 28 degrees here in Georgia, but other than that, I'm, I'm all good. Only slightly better here in Orlando. It's a little, uh, I think it's in the 30s still, or at least it was this morning. I actually had to give up and turn the heat on today. It was just, just getting a little too cold. Once it's in the mid-60s in the house, it's time to put the heat on. But uh, just for posterity's sake, we are recording this on Monday, January 21st. It is Martin Luther King Day. And this is, uh, quietly, guys, turned into one of the better days of basketball um, on the NBA calendar over the last, uh, I would say, probably about five or six years. The NBA has really turned this into one of their signature your days we have a uh if, if you time it out right we have a quintuple header today just like christmas so there's games all day long and some really interesting ones i know you know obviously i'll be watching the celtics game a little later today because of covering them but there's a there's a king's nets game at 3 30 which should yep. be a lot of fun i'm really looking forward to that rocket sixers later tonight jazz trailblazers so just really good games up and down the schedule closed out with the warriors and lakers uh in the late night window so you know great day for basketball fans it's uh i'm using the excuse that it is you know 30 something degrees out side was why mm-hmm. i'm staying in to watch basketball day in reality if it was 75 and beautiful i'd be staying in watching <laughs> basketball all day but you know here we are so um so what we're gonna do guys just a little bit different with this show um you're gonna listen to me talk for a little bit here because we do want to make sure we catch those transactions that, that we did we I promise we covered them uh, last week, but we want to go back through those. We'll we'll talk about a couple of them 
as as we get through it here and then we're going to get into we're going to talk about the pacific division teams and kind of where they stand and where things are going and then we're going to do a couple of to try to get us back caught up and on track a couple of central division teams the top two teams in the division the milwaukee bucks and indiana pacers and then we'll close out the show with just some thoughts and what we're you know looking forward to this week around the nba so let's just dive right in and get after it. So big uh, kind of calendar milestones within the last couple of weeks. All NBA contracts became fully guaranteed on January 10th. So a lot of these moves that you're going to hear me mention coming up were related to the contracts becoming fully guaranteed and teams waving guys, moving away from guys, getting off of money and not having to increase tax bills in some cases or just, um, you know, opening up roster spots or whatever it may be. The other thing is the deadline you sign players to a two-way contract was January the 15th. So that is a lot of the really other transactions that happened recently is those guys were all um, a bunch of waivers. Guys were let go from two ways and new guys were brought in and now we're locked in. So really we are in about a two and a half week period where rosters are relatively locked in as we get up to the trade deadline. Then you've got the trade deadline. Then we'll have about a month of buyout season or so. And then really we're, we're there. That's teams rosters are what they are minus, you know, the occasional 10 day contract, maybe a couple guys return from overseas teams or something like that. So, so diving into it, let's start with the Cleveland Cavs. Cavaliers. They they went through that whole saga with Patrick McCaw. They signed him, then they waived him, and the NBA did find them, you know, completely free of any kind of wrongdoing. You know, no problems there. So they they did end up waiving McCaw. They have since signed Cameron Payne to two 10-day contracts. He's in the middle of his second 10-day right now. He actually started the other night, which makes absolutely no sense. Khan as a Bulls fan, I'm sure you're like, what are they doing? <laughs> I mean, they gotta they gotta keep the act going. You don't you don't want it. the league to get suspended. And speaking of big games on the calendar, if if you're a fan of draft positioning, Bulls Cavaliers today, 1 p.m. Monday. So. If you're a huge fan of terrible, terrible basketball and uh, teams that don't look like they know what they're doing on the floor, that that's the game for you. Um, the Cavs also waived two-way player Jalen Jones, and they brought in Dang Adele on a two-way. Adele's a guy a lot of people really liked at the G League showcase. He had been playing for Raptors 905. He's getting his chance to come up and be a part of uh, an NBA club for at least kind of an audition here the rest of the way on this two-way. Toronto Raptors, speaking of them, they waived Lorenzo Brown to get off of his guaranteed money that was owed, scheduled to guarantee. They replaced him on the roster with Patrick McCaw. The Raptors do still have an open roster spot, so we'll have to see what they do with that as they go forward. But they brought in McCaw. McCaw hasn't done too much yet as Toronto's been in uh, you know closer games than usual outside of a massive blowout of the Grizzlies the other night. Chicago Bulls, Cons team here, they they waived Marshawn Brooks after that trade with Memphis, Justin Holiday trade. They did that in order to open a roster spot to acquire Michael Carter-Williams from Houston. They gave up a heavily protected, call it fake, second-round pick to Memphis in that trade, and then they since waived Michael Carter-Williams as that was the the plan all along for the Bulls. They you know really had no, no interest in doing that. Um, we're going to talk about some other things going on with the Bulls a little bit later in the show is just they, things have really – 
you know, gone from bad to worse in Chicago. So we'll see, you know, ultimately where that that lands out. And then the Washington Wizards, they waived Ron Baker. Um, Washington is reported to be signing Gary Payton the second to a um, two way contract uh, there to to flush out their roster. They have they had two weeks after waiving Baker to add another player onto the roster to to meet the minimum roster guidelines. Philadelphia 76ers, they did a couple two-way moves, waived Demetrius Jackson, who I believe signed in China, and then uh, brought in Haywood Highsmith, all-time name there. He is now on a two-way. Then they brought back old friend Corey Brewer, um, NBA uh, veteran, 50-point scorer once upon a time, to a 10-day contract. So, Pete, I want to pause here for a minute. Obviously, Brewer is not a you know, that's not a massive impact signing, but I think it speaks to more for Philly. They know they need help in a couple of spots on this roster, especially in bench positions. Yeah, they absolutely do. They need shooting, you know, especially coming off the bench or at least um, scoring. And then they also, they can use um, some defense and they need another big that, you know, really can uh, defend and rebound and, and really give Embiid some rest. But with Corey Brewer, you know, he had the three, uh, the three and then um, two assists to go with a steal. That's kind of what you get out of him, a three and D wing. Um, more so, I think Brewer's there just for locker room character to help, you know, be a veteran guy to keep, um, you know, that locker room sane whenever there's disagreements with Jimmy Butler and whoever else on the team because there's going to be more, even though there's already been reported kind of riffs that kind of toned down a little bit. But I think that, that Brewer kind of gives you a guy that you can throw out with experience on a night that, um, you kind of need that. So I think it's a good, you know, flyer with the 10 day with, with, I think also an expected second 10 day is going to come for Brewer. And, but I don't think that they keep them for the season. I think they'll experiment with maybe, you know, one or two other guys, um, you know, heading into the, the remainder of the season. Yeah, and, and Pete brings up a good point there. One thing with 10-day contracts, and just to be be aware, you can sign players to two of them if you want to keep them after the second 10-day. You have to sign them for the rest of the season. Otherwise, they go back to being free agents and then back to anybody can pick them up. So so it's kind of, kind of the way you protect guys. You can't just keep you know floating them out there for for you know more than two 10-day contracts and they don't have to be ten, two in a row this it's pretty rare but every once in a while you see a guy sign a 10-day then he goes somewhere else comes back on a 10-day and it's still the same way so if brewer leaves for a while it doesn't have to be two consecutive it's just two in a season there so con i know you on your other show on the front off, uh, front off show that's this show um on the uh bench mob podcast you guys do a lot of a lot of stuff with with mock trade deadlines and talking about different trade ideas and stuff. I've got to imagine Philly comes up at least fairly often trying to get them some veteran bench help or, or am I off base on that? So backup big and backup wing help is something they need. They just, it's tough to find the salary to yeah. go out. That's why guys like uh, Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi Kleba, maybe if you include a first round pick from Philly going to the Mavs since they don't have their first round pick, that comes up because then you could throw in like a Justin Patton type contract back where the asset is the first rounder and you don't need to give up any depth or you can package Muscala maybe if a team wants that five million dollar contract with the first to maybe bump up the level of player maybe you can get but guys like Alan Crabb or Damari Carroll those are tough to pull for uh, for Philadelphia even though they might want to be looking at those types of contracts and play wing help as well it's tough because they don't have the money to to match 
Yeah, that, that is the biggest challenge for Philadelphia is, you know, and I hear a lot of people say, well, what about Wilson Chandler? Wilson Chandler's a starter. So, yeah. you know, you're really not helping your depth issues by trading him out unless you're getting yeah. back two or three guys. And then Markel Fultz is the other name, but it's, you know, d- that doesn't seem anything they're interested in doing. There was an update this week. Sounds like he is back with the team now. It sounds like his rehab has been, you know, going well. I, I don't want to speculate beyond that, but sounds like it's going, you know, good. And he's, you know, may- maybe, I-, I don't know if we're going to see him again this season. There's nothing that indicates that, but at least he's back around the team. But, you know, that those are kind of your two tradable money deals, but right. – yeah, Fultz, but you're, then you're just giving up on him for for not much. You're really selling him at and his lowest. And that's not smart. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can't and, do that. And then Chandler, yeah, it's just not going to happen. Well, then you look at the the two guys that are kind of in. Well, one guy that's definitely in the rotation, Shamit, who's been fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, and a big surprise to even you know Sixers fans this year. He's been doing well, but then you got Furkan Korkmaz, who also has. Um, you know, fared well this season and they kind of got thrusted into the rotation. They've been well, but come playoff time, you need that, you know, veteran experience. Yeah. And that's not to take away from the other two guys, but I just think that, you know, even it showed last year with Ilya Sova and Bellinelli, just how much they brought to the team. And, and that's kind of what the Sixers should look for. A veteran guy can hit some threes and then they need a, a you know, a wing that can hit some threes and then a, a big that can defend and rebound because Embiid has got to get more rest. Yeah, they, they, there was a game just a couple of days ago. He was questionable to play, and he, you know, give him all the credit in the world because he got it out, played well, but he should not have been on the floor. Right. He just he, he wasn't moving right. He just didn't look good. But but you you hit it. It's what are you going to do? Because it's really it's Jonah Bolden, Mike Muscala, or maybe throw Amir Johnson in the in the mix, and and that's fine if you're playing you know Cleveland or Chicago, and you you know can just kind of do that and say all right, take take the night off, big fellow. We're going to cobble it together but but it, it's tough and i that's that's the thing i worry about that's why they're linked to noah vonley because vonley's on a minimum contract easily tradable uh for philly they could go get him for you know absorb his contract with no issues and you know the knicks can't ask for all that big of an asset for him as an expiring guy and he's been playing great basketball for them so that's something to keep an eye on there uh but but they're the Knicks. Knicks are driving a little bit of a bidding war because they know uh, plenty of teams are interested in Noah Vonley. So, all right, let's keep moving along here. Boston Celtics had an open two-way spot uh, for for a couple about a month or so, and then they signed brought home R.J. Hunter, former first-round pick who had been kind of flamed out in Boston, got caught in a roster crunch, was released. They brought him back on a two-way. Another Celtics draftee signed a two-way with the New York Knicks, Kadeem Allen. He picked up the second two-way spot that was created when the Knicks uh, signed Alonzo Trier to a contract. Milwaukee Bucks, they waived Jalen Morris, who had been kind of towards the back end of their rotation, kind of a bigger guard guy. And they brought in Bonzi Colson, who's a smaller forward. So he's coming in uh, out of the G League. He had been playing for the Canton Charge, and now he's a buck. The Detroit Pistons, they they moved off both of their two-way guys, Keenan Evans and Zach Lofton. And then they brought in Kalen Lucas and Isaiah Whitehead on two-way. The interesting thing there is Lucas and Whitehead are both point guards. And the Pistons, Ish Smith has been banged up and in and out of the lineup, but they still have Reggie Jackson, Jose Calderon, Ish Smith, and Langston Galloway that can play point guard. And then added two two way guys that are both you know capable or are you know true point guards. So that's kind of says to me we might see something come there. And with a lot of teams looking for point guard help. 
they might look at the Pistons for a guy like Calderon or Smith or maybe Galloway to say, you know, can we go? And I, and I apologize. I left out rookie uh, Kyrie Thomas, who they really like, who's also a point guard. So that's kind of that one raised my eyebrows a little because it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Otherwise, Memphis Grizzlies, they waived J- uh, Jarnell Stokes and um, signed, I, I wrote Utah Watanabe, but that is not correct. They signed Julian Washburn um, to a two-way contract there to replace him. Phoenix Suns on a 10-day brought in Quincy Acey uh, for a first one and then have re-signed him to a second 10-day contract. And then the Indiana Pacers yesterday signed uh, Stephen Hicks uh, to a 10-day contract. He is now up with, with the Pacers. He had been playing for the Fort Wayne Mad Ants uh, for, for quite some time. That's a good story. A guy who really, you know, self-made player down in the G League. In uh, Brooklyn Nets, they brought back Alan Williams. Um, had been on a two-way. They waived him from his two-way so he could join a team overseas. That fell through. The Nets brought him back. And in his first game back, he picked up eight rebounds in about two minutes. And I know this is a guy Pete and I both love because Pete and I have this irrational attachment to guys who can rebound at a high level and do very little else um, in the NBA, Thomas Robinson. Tom, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> that's our guy. Um, and then the other thing with the Nets, though, is they bought out Kenneth Fareed. Fareed has been out of the rotation essentially all year for the Nets. And this is where I'm going to bring you guys back in because this closes on our transaction portion. Fareed is reportedly going to sign with the Houston Rockets some point today. So here's the challenge, though. The Rockets don't have a roster spot. They have James Nunnally, who's a in the middle, call it, of a 10-day contract. Um, and that's that's the easy move. End his 10-day, bring Farid into that spot. The more complicated move, but one I think people are saying, why is this not the move? Wave Carmelo Anthony. Part of the reason why they're not overly interested in waving Anthony is because then they have to eat the entire salary and then they have to pay out the luxury tax associated to that salary versus trading him and saving a good amount of luxury tax. So, so I'm going to kind of, I'm going to go to you first. Um, let's talk about what, what move would you make? Would you waive Nunnally and his two way and bring in uh Fareed via, via that spot? Or would you just say, forget it and just move on from Carmelo? I mean, I think the decision is is Nunnally worth the tax you're going to have to pay for waiving Melo as well. And if you think you can find some, I mean, he is on a ten day. Um, if you can, if you think you can find someone else for that, and then maybe because then you, you might want to trade Melo with a pick or something to get maybe a, another like a higher level wing. So in that sense, I'd probably wave Nunley, take in for Reed, and then try to attach my first to Carmelo for an asset in that way. Um, if I'm Houston, because then you get you don't need to pay the tax for no reason, um, and that's clearly a thing they're trying to avoid. And also, you don't need to wave another guy after you wait because if you wave Melo and then bring in for Reed, then let's say you want to go and get another guy, then you need, either need to trade Nunley. Or you need to waive Nunley, um, and that's just another decision that has to be made. So right now, I just take the easy move financially and cap salary cap wise, just because I don't think it's their last move this season. Yeah, and I think too the other thing for the Rockets is when they signed Nunley, they were still Ennis and Gordon were still banged up. They they didn't have a lot on the wing at the time. Now both of those guys are are back, and Nunley's back. I think they're a little healthier. You can get by a little bit more on the wing if that's the direction we want to go. Pete, to bring you in, is that are you saying similar mindset there? Just just cut Nunley loose, bring Farid in there, and then deal with Melo and figure it out after. 
Yeah, I mean, and I'll, I'm I'm in the camp that you get rid of Nunnally just because of obviously the financial aspect, but he's done nothing on the court. He's shooting three for thirteen from the field, and he's supposed to be a lights out three point shooter, and it's he's shooting twenty five percent from three. Just not going to get it done, and and he's had the opportunity in the system, and he's not really done anything with it. And you could say that, you know, he hasn't he didn't play much in Minnesota. That he might be better suited overseas because he did play really well. And I like Nunnally, um, you know, or like Nunnally when he came into the league. You know, had a little stopgate, um, you know, with a few teams previous. But I just don't know, you know, shooting that poorly that. You know, there's any other decision that the Rockets could make. I know they're they're trying to trade Carmelo, but how fast does that happen? And really, you know, what team out there is going to pull that trade? Yeah, absolutely. And it's they're looking to do something like what they did with the Bulls with Carter Williams, which is, you know, hey, we'll we'll pay for it. Now they're almost out of being able to send money, but it's we'll pay you to eat Melo's deal with a you know second round pick or something like that. If you can do this, and my guess is other teams are like, oh, you know, we know, right? Te- teams are smart. They know they want to get off this money. So I'm sure they're looking at it and saying, why don't you give us two second rounders or whatever is trying to hold them hostage a little bit. And uh, the Part of the reason the Rockets also signed James Nunnally was Daniel House. When we hit the, that two-way uh, deadline there, the, the Rockets' house had been starting for them, so they obviously weren't going to waive him. But his, his NBA days are up. You only get 45 days in the NBA, and they're up. He doesn't have any more days left to be up in the NBA. So now he really is – their options are convert him, sign him to a full you know contract, or he is going to um, – You'll have to sit in the G League until the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, which is Houston's G League team, season ends, which is going to be somewhere in the end of March to early April, depending on how they do. Right now, they're positioned as a G League playoff team. So he cannot come back to the NBA until his G League team season ends. So that's going to be be a challenge. And obviously, what created all of this is Clint Capella got hurt. Otherwise, you're, this isn't even a conversation. This is just, you know, they're going to go along as they do. But Clint Capella, you know, injured thumb. He's going to be out for quite a while. He's going to be out for um, four to six weeks. So we're, we're talking late February before he gets back. That really left the only big on the roster that's, you know, a true NBA big and a true um, rotation level guy is Nene. And he is good for 15 to 20 minutes a game. In only really every other game, because just at this point in in his career, he is, as I'm looking it up here, he's already 36 years old. So, you know, and in his 17th season. So that's the the challenge. I know the the game the other night, they started P.J. Tucker at center. They started what looked like a college basketball team. (laughs) P.J. Tucker at center, James Ennis, Eric Gordon, Austin Rivers, and James Harden. Now they won. I I think they won that. Yeah, that was a game against the Lakers, and they they did come come back to win that game. But it it is, uh, you know, it's just kind of a mess there in Houston. My guess, and this is just a guess, is that what the Rockets do is they they end Nunnally's deal. That's how they bring in Fareed. And then they continue to look for trades for Carmelo. And when they open up that roster spot, if it's if they still can't get something done with Daniel House, then they bring Nunnally back then on a second 10 day and say, hey, we're still making good by here. We're bringing you back. Or if they ideally they get something done with Daniel House. And what's going on with House is House wants the convert me or give me a one year contract where I'm a free agent at the end of this. 
the Rockets say, hey, we want to give you part of our exception for a three-year contract, which really keeps him at minimum you know salary money for three years and then they can you know kind of be like hey all right hey look at this you know we it's the uh the um robert covington deal with philadelphia where look hey we you know kind of diamond in the rough here and look at look at how well this paid off and you right. can obviously see why house and his agent are saying yeah no we're good <laughs> you know we're we'll give us a real contract or you know we're out of here so the Rockets team, team to keep an eye on, and it's keep keep an eye on them today. You you may not hear this in time, but Monday, this is the day. Something's going to happen today because they're going to get Fareed brought in. My guess is they have Fareed brought in. He'll clear waivers at 5 p.m. Eastern on Monday. They play at 8 o'clock tonight. My guess is they want Fareed in uniform and ready to play tonight against Philadelphia um, with that. So keep, keep an eye on the Houston Rockets and what they do here, or you can come back and see if we were right or wrong if you hear this after they made their decision and go with that. So, guys, let's continue on. Let, let's get into the injury updates here. So, Con, unfortunately, let's start with the Bulls. Wendell Carter Jr. out for, it sounds, about 12 weeks with a thumb injury injury. My so I'm gonna ask you two questions. Is first, let's start with is that is this the season for Wendell Carter Jr. Or do you think they get him back on the court before the season ends? No, I mean it doesn't. It wouldn't make any sense right now. What we're at January 21st. If yeah. it does go three months, that's that's it. Uh, yeah. yeah, like March or April. Uh, okay. So it wouldn't make sense. There's gonna be at most like ten games remaining tops, um, and. There's no reason to bring him on. And then just to come to the uh, just reaction to this injury, it's just this, se- the, this season could not have gone any worse for the Bulls in so many different ways. Um, and if the, this is just the, the cherry on top, I guess, of the awful, awful cake that, that, that we're making here. Um, because the only point of the season was for the players to develop, maybe fight for a playoff spot, like if everything clicked and... It started out with Lowry's injury, um, and Dunn got hurt, and Portis got hurt, which led to the team being really bad, which led to the front office having an excuse to fire Hoiberg, <laughs> which led to the Jim Boylan hiring, which led to the w- weekly headline news for how dysfunctional the team is. And then, I mean, Carter was also being used pretty improperly, I would say. At, the, at one point, he wasn't even looking at the rim. Um, and then in the end, uh, Carter got hurt. Um, and it's just, I, I don't know, man, this, the only two guys that we were, that were injury concerns, uh, coming into the season are the only guys that have stayed healthy throughout the season. Um, and it's just not the best situation right now for the bulls. Uh, hashtag Ion Zion is, is all I'm saying. <laughs> hey, Pete, Pete, you've got about an hour head start. Can you head up to Boston and make sure Khan's okay? <laughs> I know. Sounds like he's having, yeah, having a rough hey, go. At least I like yeah. basketball as a whole and not strictly the Bulls, so I can I can get by for the rest of this year. Yeah, I hear you, man. It's, I said on Twitter the other day, this is an unmitigated disaster of a season. It's just it's just a mess. It's I never bought into that they were going to be good, and and you guys know I'm the most optimistic basketball fan in the world i find a reason for all of these teams to be really interesting and i can generally talk myself into hey if everything breaks right maybe they'll be good you know i was even there with the cleveland cavaliers i was like eh, maybe you know maybe it'll all go okay but you know for the bulls it's it, it, it's just a mess it's you know they've got you know the as you said con the whole goal was here's all of our young guys carter marketing hutchison levine dunn portis Put them all together. What do we have? 
you know, who's who's building blocks, who's part of the core going forward, who's tradable pieces. Let's figure this thing out. Let's go. And now we're sitting here with Carter's out. The other guys have all missed a large chunk of time. They, you know, Jabari Parker, what a mess that signing was, even though he's been been better. And the, the unfortunate, the, the most unfortunate part of this whole thing is, well, there's two. Robin Lopez, get, get, set him free already. Exactly. Good Lord. Yeah, exactly. yeah, let this guy go. Uh, I mean, I know he's starting now with Carter, but who cares? Like, just put Felicio in there. It doesn't matter. You're, you you're not trying well to enough. play him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in a step all over, uh, I have my 10 least tradable contracts in the NBA and Felicio features in there just to be, be aware, <laughs> even, even though he doesn't, it, I explain it. Why, even though it's, it's, it's not a lot of money, but, but why it's so bad. Um, but then the other part, part is that, that, you know, just is, is, um, you know, kind of rough here is, you know, the, the Lopez piece, but it's also that now you've got all these, you still seem like they're harboring these dreams of, well, we got a ton of cap space this summer. We're going to be a free agent market. They should be a team that's like, hey, we'll eat a, a bad contract in exchange for an asset. You know, they, they should be the team that's looking at the Houston Rockets and saying, hey, why don't we trade Robin Lopez for Brandon Knight in a future pick? Straight up, that helps Houston greatly. Doesn't change the cap math for the Rockets really at all. And so Chicago has Brandon Knight, but what do they care? But they're not going to do that because for whatever reason, they don't. We got our cap space, so we're going to be great. So we can go spend it on whoever this year's Jabari Parker is twenty million. No, probably throw twenty million at Rodney Hood or something stupid like that at the end of the year. I just I don't understand. It's frustrating, Connor. I get your sense there as a Bulls fan. It's you know, it's I know fans are you know going going crazy there. So I mean, just one last thing yeah, the, yeah. the cap space stuff like i i was behind it at the beginning of the season because because I, I was like okay if this is a young team that's promising yeah. that's showing promise yeah. like yeah maybe a team would come through to you know michael jordan and the history still does exist with the bulls yeah. um but now you just got to pivot you you got to know that i mean carter's hurt the season's going awful and now you've clearly shifted your uh, like formula to the draft so just take on one more year. It's going to be one more year before anyone decides to come anyway. Um, so just take that one more year. There's so many teams trying to make... You have the contracts. You have Robin Lopez. You have Jabari. You have so many little pieces to move to. Just make a move. Get some picks. Get I don't know, man. It's I put it Put it this way for me. Going into the season... If you put the Chicago Bulls and the Atlanta Hawks side by side, I would have picked the Bulls for this season, and I would have picked the Bulls for the future. I would have said the Bulls are more better positioned because they've got all these young guys. Now that I look at it, I take the Hawks every day and say I'm there. The Hawks are, you know, they they've got the Hawks have all these young guys. Plus the Hawks are doing it the right way. They're 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 out there pitching. Hey, Jeremy Lin's thirteen and a half million or so. Who wants it? Like, take it, and we'll take back a bad contract as long as you also pay us to do so. It, but, but for whatever reason, the Bulls are there. Con, I'm with you. If it had been maybe these young guys, maybe they made a playoff run and didn't, didn't get to the playoffs, but they got really close, then you're pitching, hey, free agent X, almost the Philly idea, right? Come on exactly. in here, JJ Redick. Yo, look how close, you know, we're, we're close. We're close to turning this thing around. Get in here. You can be the guy that gets us to that next level. That's what the idea was for the Bulls. Instead, now now you've got this mess, and now they're looking at it as, well, we still got cap space. Let's go. And no one's gonna, no one's looking at that Bulls team and saying, I'm the guy. I can push them over the top. There's, it That's, just doesn't exist. Well, especially now with, the obviously, the long-herald Jim Boylan saga. 
Yeah. You know, and yeah. just the differential in points they're getting blown out by. It's like 18.2 or something like that is the differential of points since he's taken over as coach. And it's just not, I, I just don't have any optimism, you know, based on kind of what's happening. And, and I know it's kind of, you know, beating a dead horse, but they, they've got to move off of Parker sooner than later. I know the Pelicans and Knicks are kind of looking at, at him, but, you know, Robin Lopez is, is easily gettable by a number of teams um, that are looking for big man help. Just do it now and get it over with. Yeah, no, it, that's exactly right. It's, you know, yeah, it's just, it's just a mess. All right, let's get off it. Let's get back to being, you know, into something else. We're, we're getting too angry for a, you know, <laughs> Monday morning, holiday morning. You know, let's, let's move on. Um, De- Dennis Smith, he's been out with an illness. No one can see me, but I'm doing air quotes around illness. Um, and everybody knows what that is and what happened that the Mavericks were, you're looking at moving him and they kind of, Hey, sit out. We don't want you to get hurt. While well, we're looking at it, then Smith kind of, I, I don't want to say he went AWOL because it's too strong of a term, but he kind of left the team for a little bit there and, you know, was not happy. So Pete, you know, we, we kind of cut you out there and let Con have his, his thing on the Bulls, um, yeah. which was, is the way we should have done it. But but Smith, what do you think happens here now? It, it sounds like they've made some level of reconciliation. He's going to rejoin the team uh, for today. Um, today's game, it sounds like, and, you know, he'll be back. But can they come back from this or is, are you in a spot where it's still got to move them? I mean, I feel like in, in my heart that you keep him because I think he still is a good asset for the team, but with, you know, the history of Rick Carlisle and even though Rajon Rondo is more of a volatile personality, I feel like it's kind of Carlisle's way. And, and in agreement, you know, with that, I think Carlisle just tries to get, the point guards to play the right way. And right now, Dennis Smith's more of an athlete kind of, you know, score, not really looking to be a facilitator and still has a lot of growth, um, you know, as a point guard, because it is the hardest position to learn in the NBA. But I feel like the value that they're going to get back for him is not something that, you know, they can hold their heads high on, you know, for the future, because, you know, looking at it, there's not, you know, outside of Orlando and really Phoenix, there's not a lot of teams that really need a guy like Dennis Smith in their lineup. And even those two teams, I don't know how much it changes their win total, you know, overall as far as his fit on the team. Cause it's not like he's a scorer that can also really pass the ball and get guys involved. So I don't know how it solves it there. So looking at it, you know, right now, the best thing to do was to mend fences on both sides and kind of give a little give and take on, on both sides. And I know, you know, it's been reported more so Dennis Smith has been unhappy more so than the the Maverick side. I don't know how much, obviously, you know, just going off of, of what you read, you know, as the headlines. But, you know, overall, I mean, it's the best move just to bring them back unless you're going to get really like a, a really good first rounder and another good player to slide in there. But I don't think that's happening right now. Yeah, you know, it's almost similar in – uh, uh, not how we got here, but similar in value or uh, valuing a player to Markel Fultz, right? It's mm-hmm. a situation where you're going to give him up probably about at his lowest value. Now, now Fultz, obviously, with the injury and the all that's gone into his situation, different than Smith. I think teams could talk that much easier into Dennis Smith and saying, like, hey, we can get this guy to be the guy. You know, we all thought he was coming into the draft and all that. And it's true. You know, Orlando and Phoenix are interested, but Orlando and Phoenix are looking at it as, well, hey, maybe, you know, a couple months ago we would have given you X. Now it's, 
well, now the guy doesn't want to be there. Do you have to trade him? We're going to give you the why. And that's where if you're the Mavericks, it's, you know, I think the best thing is get him back in. You've got about two and a half weeks. Let's say he comes back in and he just is phenomenal over the next two weeks. Well, now maybe you can go do something different or then it's going to be rebuilt his value for the rest of this year that they have, you know, they're all but out of the playoff race. Now they're, they're four and a half games out, but they're, they're really sliding. They're three and seven in their last 10. They've lost three in a row. They're, it's hard to see them getting back into it um, at this point in the Western Conference playoff race. So now it turns into now it's a development season. You know, you you made your 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 chase for the playoffs throughout the first half of the year. Now it's time to time to go go a different direction and look at it differently. And I think what this ultimately really comes down to too is, and what I've been kind of told on the situation is, they like Luka Doncic with the ball in his hands a lot which obviously that's how they're playing. And I don't think they see Smith as the best fit next to him. He's not a lockdown defender, nor is he a fantastic shooter. I think they want a guy who can really play next to Luca. And I'm not saying this is the perfect fit either, but a guy like Patrick Beverly was next to James Harden. I think they're, they're letting Luca be their Harden. Yeah. We're going to give you the ball a ton and you're going to score or make plays for others. And they want a guy like Beverly who, is just going to get after it and be a bulldog on defense and then we'll knock down open jumpers when, when it comes his way. So that's going to be a situational watch here. I, I'm guessing nothing happens before the trade deadline. I just think it's too hard, but I, I find it very, very hard to believe Dennis Smith jr. Will be on the Mavericks when we start next season. I think, you know, there, there's a high likelihood he moves on there. Um, we're going to talk, we go hey, in alphabet. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go. Sorry. I yeah, no, no, jump in because course, my favorite, yeah. My favorite Dennis Smith Jr. trade is New York. Just send Nilakina over. Just flop him. Flop Switch him. Yeah. Put him in because Nilakina is more of an off-ball, doesn't need the ball in his hands all the time. Rick, Kyle, Rick Carlisle can, I think, really develop him. And then Dennis Smith Jr., if he wants the spotlight and if he wants to be the guy with the ball in his hands, New York doesn't really have that. I mean, Alonzo Trier is coming off the bench. But, yeah, you just, I, I just feel like that's, that would be a great trade for both teams. I don't know. Yeah, and, I'm, I'm there. You know, the one I I actually really really like if Orlando wants to do something, if Orlando is saying it's either going to be this year we make the playoffs and we're making a push, or it's going to be next year, which means you have to keep Nikola Vucevic on the Magic because he's their best player and you got to keep him around. I would trade Mobamba. For for Dennis Smith Jr., the Mavericks like Bamba. They considered drafting him if they couldn't get Luka. That's the move I would make. It's just one of those basketball trades that makes a lot of sense. The Mavs don't have anything resembling a young center on the roster. In Orlando, doesn't have anything resembling a young point guard. You know, swap it and make it work. If that's the direction you're going to go with Orlando with, you know, hey, we're close. We want to either make the run this year or we're definitely going to make the run next year. and We're going to keep Vooch around. That's a move to make. Obviously, if they're like, yeah, we're falling out of it. We're not worried about it. Vooch isn't part of the future. You can't do that because then Bomb is your guy. But that's that's the one that kind of sticks in my head. Um, all right. We, we generally go alphabetical order here. We're going to skip Golden State and the Lakers because we'll talk about what's going on with them when we get into the Pacific Division. We already talked about Clint Capella, Memphis. Chandler Parsons, who knows what's going on with this situation? I mean, other than he he says he's ready to go. The team says, yeah, work your way back through the G League. We'll see. He says, no, the team said go away. It's just a mess. He's owed too much money to just simply cut him and, you know, buy him out and wave him. Here the Grizzlies. No one's going to trade for it. it that, that one's just a mess. Um, but Memphis, they, they, what a slide for them. 
you know, since the last time we recorded, they've completely fallen out of it. They're now six games out. They're in 14th in the in the West. They're 19 and 27, lost five in a row. They're one and nine. So what I want to ask you, Pete, mm-hmm. is it time to move on from Conley and Gasol if you can? Well, I know the rumors are out there with, with Gasol, with Conley, and I know you're going to touch on this more. because <laughs> Me and Conley are going to go head to head. Yeah, the the untradeableness of of um, Conley, but I, I feel like with Gasol, like I, I understand he's you know the hardworking guy, kind of glue guy there for them. But I feel like if they're going to do something, it has to be him, and they could do right by him by possibly moving him to like a actual playoff contender. Um, they they've got to get some young assets back because we've talked about it before. They don't really have. Young guys, I mean, you can look at Dylan Brooks, you can look at Jaron Jackson, um, Javon Carter, if you really want to look at him as a long-term asset. But outside of that, what do they really have? And yeah. so I feel like now is the time to to make that move. And um, Pena being the owner, I know he's always kind of looking how to fluctuate dollars and move them you know, elsewhere. And he's kind of one of those quick, fire make a move kind of guys and so i don't know if this regime in um memphis is going to stick much longer like they have to make some kind of move but i'm going to throw it back to you guys to kind of discuss the conley dilemma and, and what they should do there yeah so let's set this up before we started recording um we're we we always talk a little bit of this is what we're going to talk in the show and and then we'll talk about just kind of what's been going on one of the things that i have a piece coming out this week for yahoo sports it's the 10 least tradable contracts in the nba it's a companion piece of piece that released this past week which was the 10 most tradable if you read the 10 most tradable and you're like but they're never going to trade these guys that's kind of the idea is they're so good and it even says it in the piece. If they were to trade them, they'd return a massive package and all these things. And surprisingly enough, I've written this con- this column three or four times in the past four years. I think it is. And it is uh, some of the most tradable guys have gotten traded and returned awesome packages to their teams. But anyway, it is um, 10 lease coming out. And one of the guys who features in it for me is Mike Conley. And one of the things that I explain is this isn't anything to do with the player. Mike Conley probably should have been an all-star by now. Maybe could have been an all-star this year. He's probably not going to be. The West is just so loaded, and now the Grizzlies have fallen completely out of it. But it's a lot about his contract. And this was where, you know, Khan, rightly so, brought up. You know, but it's Mike Conley, and he's really good. <laughs> um, you know, and but just so so let's cover off on his numbers. 30.5 this season, 32.5 next season, 34.5 the season after that. That's what he's owed. In that right now, he is 31. He'll be 32 when next season starts. And he's got to link the injury history. So combine the contract with the injury history, with all that other stuff. I start to really look at it and say, Mike Conley, that's one of the least tradable contracts in the NBA. Con, I'm going to kick it to you. Where are you coming from? Because you're looking at it more as Mike Conley basketball player than Mike Conley contract. Am I correct? Yeah, I mean, I think, so my thoughts on this is max contracts are always going to be a bad uh, deal unless you have one of the best guys on them. Because, like, let's say you have Anthony Davis or LeBron or Giannis or just, like, the stars, the mega stars of the league. They get the max contract, and they give you double the production of yeah. what you pay them. But when you yeah, sign I'm, a guy I wanna... to... 
And sorry, I want to interrupt real quick. For sure. Max contracts are either the best deal in the NBA. They're a complete steal. Uh, one of the things I always say about LeBron is LeBron, you could pay him 50 or 60 million and you'd feel fine. Yes. Same thing with like Davis or those guys, or they end up being a really bad, awful investment. So yeah, that's just to jump in there, but go ahead finish your thought. Yeah. So, I mean, with that, when you sign a max contract to a guy that is like just at that level, then you're immediately in a tough situation because you're building around a guy that is worth only 35 million and not worth 50 to 60 million, but you're only paying him 30 million. So that's the situation Memphis is in. I think that Conley does deserve that money because he is awesome. I think a team like Phoenix, I think maybe a team with some bad content, like Orlando could probably muster up some stuff, but they would need to give something real back. Not because, I mean, both because Conley's good, but and also because they're giving up bad contracts to make the deal work. So that's why it's a tough contract to trade for because the only contracts that kind of get you there are the ones that are usually not good contracts, which means you need to add even more than you would want to for Conley. Um, so I, in that regard, I do understand why he could be one of the most one of the least tradable contracts because of how hard it is to actually trade for it. But in terms of value to the contract that he brings to the contract, I think he's right about there. Yeah. And that, and it's funny you say that because I did the Lakers nation podcast earlier today. And one of the things that we talked about on that is with guys like Conley and Gasol, it sounds good to, Hey, go get them. But once you are up over about 20 million, per season in the NBA, you're either doing one of two things. First, what Khan said is you have to take back bad money because that's the only way you can make a match. Or you have to pile up three, four guys to get there to to make the salaries match in a trade. And then at that point, so the example we use, if let's say the Lakers wanted to trade for Mark Gasol, well, you had to pile up so many guys. Now, all of a sudden, you're telling your coach, hey, we got Mark Gasol. That's awesome. Mark Gasol is great. What did we give up? I gave up a starter and three bench guys. Well, wait, what, what, that's my rotation. Like, what'd you do to me? You know, so that's where it becomes a you know really risky thing. That's why these big salaried guys, it is pretty rare that we see one moved in season. And some people will throw it back to, well, Jimmy Butler got moved. But remember, Jimmy Butler's deals from the old CBA. So he wasn't even making all that much. He was making like, what is it, 15, 16, 17 million. You know, so that's a far, far more easy, easily movable number. Now, that said, talking off air, Con kind of got me looking at the Phoenix Suns in, in Conley. And it's uh, one of those things where... I, I would still hold off because Conley's going to make you too good for the rest of this season. But I kind of got myself talked into, all right, so guarantee Ryan Anderson's full contract. Maybe you give up a, uh, you know, somebody like a, you know, put, put in a, um, you know, hit him and, you know, uh, Josh Jackson, uh, you know, maybe you're, you're, you're kind of almost there. Or, you know, if you really, really wanted to do it this year, you, you know, Anderson and Dragon Bender and, you know, Troy Daniels, that gets you about there. And, you know, it could, could be really kind of interesting. It sounds, I, I just, I wouldn't do it this year because you, you, you don't want to be good this year. And I think Conley helps you win, you know, a couple too many games the rest of the way, but, but it's, I guess overall to, to get off the, the Grizzlies and the you know factory of sadness down there, it is just it's time. It's time to move on. This is a mess. It's you know, we gotta figure this thing out and you know get moving in a different different direction in Memphis because it's it's just you know, nothing good is coming out of this. Jaron Jackson time, build around him, 
you know, and see see what you can get and go forward. All right, two more teams to talk about with injuries. The New Orleans Pelicans, Anthony Davis is going to be out at least a week, maybe two weeks with a finger injury. Pelicans right on the borderline of are we in this thing to stay in it or not? We'll see, you know, how they, you know, whether this week or two without Anthony Davis. And then the Utah Jazz, it sounds like uh, Ricky Rubio is getting closer to a return. Uh, Raul Neto getting closer to return. Dante Exum, a little bit more for him to come back. So, you know, Donovan Mitchell point guard may be, you know, coming to an end here, but he's done quite well. Kind of the again, six in a row. Yeah. Six in a row for the jazz who are, you know, I'm not going to pat myself on the back too much here, but I kind of saw this coming. I, this is, you know, they did this the last couple of years where they make these late their second half of the season runs. I think they're just a team that takes a little while to get going and, figured out i think when when you're so predicated on system buckets versus individual talent sometimes it takes a little while to get there and they also played a really really tough schedule to start still one of the heavier road schedules in the league compared to a home schedule so good good things to come for the jazz i think i'm gonna go on record i think by the time all is said and done utah is comfortably hosting a playoff series in the first round in the Western Conference. I think they're going to you know, move all the way up into the 3-4 range here. That's not too crazy because they're only two games out of out of the three spot, you know, as we uh, record this on Monday morning um, with that. So, uh, again, this is the NBA front office show. We are brought to you by CLNS Media. We are, you know, super excited to be back with you here. I keep looking over to make sure our, our, our recording's still running, Con. It is. Good job. Um, <laughs> you know, we're, we, we're, we're getting we're – going to get this one in there and get it posted for you guys. And now we're going to jump into conversation about our division of the week, but we're going to give you a division and a half of the week uh, division. Full division is going to be the Pacific division. Half division is going to be the central division. So let's start in the Pacific division. Let's start with the golden state warriors who are they're they're the Warriors again. They're 32 and 14. They are at the top of the Western Conference by a half game over the Denver Nuggets. They have won seven straight. They're nine and one in their last 10 games. Con, I am sure the advanced stats are quite kind and friendly to the Warriors. Okay. Uh, currently, they're sitting at number two in that rating at plus 7.9. Uh, that's behind the Bucks, who we'll yeah. get to. Um, offense. They're number one at 116.6, which is up from last week, not (laughs) ranking-wise, but uh, points per possession-wise is up. And now they're over 2.5. No, sorry. I'll cut this part out, too. Um, And on the defensive (laughs) end, um, they're ranked 10th at 108.7 points per possession. Yeah, and let's uh, talk about the big, um, you know, the, let's call it the big man in the room, DeMarcus Cousins, back in the lineup. And, you know, for, for me, I'll, Pete, I'll let you chime in here in a minute. I mm-hmm. thought he looked awesome. I thought he yeah. looked great. You know, and, and, and I've heard a call. He fouled out in 15 minutes. Who cares? I think that's almost perfect, actually, for the Warriors. As long as he's keeping his head and he's not, you know, stomping around and picking up technicals and, you know, him and Draymond Green wage a, you know, tee off here to who can finish with the most (laughs) over the last couple months. He's only going to play 15 to 20 minutes a game right now anyway. Let him play as hard as he can in those 15, 20 minutes. If he commits fouls, he commits fouls. It doesn't matter. But I thought he looked awesome, Pete. What did you think about Cousins, you know, first game back? Well, I thought it was amazing, especially being able to shoot that well from the three-point line. That's something that he really, really worked on in his rehab. So that showed right away. Um, Once he can get his, his, you know, win back under him, you know, game and game shape, um, because there's nothing like actually playing in an NBA game, um, 
then also fully trusting that Achilles, I mean, he's going to be unstoppable because there's nobody else that you could throw the ball into in the post that's that dominant, you know, consistently other than, you know, obviously like the Anthony Davis is the, um, you know, Joel Embiid, those kind of type players. But looking at what Cousins brings otherwise is the passing. He already had three assists in the game. You have so many good shooters on this team. It's just, I mean, it's not even fair yeah. to have Cousins <laughs> in the lineup. Um, yeah, I, and and in those small spurts, it's perfect. I, yeah, I put something out on Twitter like, "Well, good luck, you know, to the rest of the NBA," because it's, you know, it's just yeah. And and the one thing I, you know, I think I said this on last week's the you know, last episode, but I want to repeat it um, here to make sure it does get out there. The one thing the Warriors have been missing, kind of, anytime they they do go through struggles on those rare off shooting nights or they get in against a really good defensive team, is we can dump it inside to somebody let him go to work he's gonna get us a couple baskets or draw a couple fouls they've never had that guy in the entirety of this you know four four year run now and now they do and cousins you know he looked good physically i thought you know he looked i mean and cousins has never been a um you know super athletic guy he's never been a high high riser you know he's more you know strength and bully ball and power through guys so it's um yeah it, it's it's kind of scary to to kind of run through what what it's looking like for them now rotation wise it's you know he right into the starting lineup which we we had speculated would be the case um because it's just the easiest way to control his minutes and then Kavon Looney basically played behind him and then I think they're starting around into, you know, all right, it's going to be Iguodala, Livingston, and then just a mixture of whoever else we need, whether that's McKinney, Cook, Drebko, Bell, the rest of the way, that that's it. And then they're still sitting on an open roster spot, so you know they're going to add somebody in buyout season or at the trade deadline, probably more likely in buyout season because that'll allow them to keep it a little cheaper um, towards the luxury tax. But, but, but Khan, are you looking at it and saying, like, write them in and pen in the finals or you penciling them in or you i'm not even going that far like where are you at on the warriors i mean i'm not i'm just gonna not change the permanent marker that i've written (laughs) (laughs) since the beginning of this season um because it's just like you upgrade from kavan looney to demarcus cousins yeah and and that's ridiculous because that's not a knock on kavan looney no not at all really nice season yeah not not at all but like you, you don't want your starting center, I mean, maybe you do if, you, if you're like a rebuilding team and you're trying to see what players are going to stick. Or if you're the Warriors and all other four positions are ridiculously high level, then you want Kavon Looney starting. But to go from that to DeMarcus Cousins, who before the injury was having one of his best seasons um, with the Pelicans, and he was regarded as the top center, maybe top three if you didn't put him at, uh, on that mantle... And you're just adding that to the like second, third, fourth best player uh, in Curry and Durant, wherever you rank them. And it's just like, it's not a conversation. It's just how bad are they going to beat the teams in the playoffs? Yeah, I still think if the Rockets get Capella back and healthy and they can can climb out of this without completely wearing James Harden out, meaning Chris Paul gets back, Harden gets the help he needs from Eric Gordon, stays healthy, and they, they, they're there, I still think that they can challenge the Warriors. I mean, we saw it last year. I don't think Cousins swings things quite enough to make it different more because of Capella's there. I think the Rockets are they're they're more um, uniquely built to combat the Warriors than than most other teams are. But 
you know, it, it's really tough. Like I just, I look at Denver has had such a fantastic season and I look at it as the Warriors were just, now they're just going to wipe the floor with them. I mean, they, they destroyed them the other night anyway, without cousins. There was one of those games where I think the Warriors were like, Hey, let's remind everybody who we are on the road in Denver at altitude. And they just blasted the nuggets. And now it's just there. I just, you know, it, it oddly enough, I think the Warriors bigger challengers are going to be the teams from the East. Cause I think they're more set up to, to you know defend these guys at, at really all three levels of the offense they can switch they can do things it's it's you know it's going to be the rockets or nobody in the west you know for me so we're, we'll we'll see where that goes it's you know i don't want to spend too much time on the warriors because they're great and you know I, i'd rather get in the other teams in the division because they're you're really interesting unless you guys have any other thoughts on the warriors let's move on to the other four teams Let's good? Go. All right, Very let's good. do it. Los Angeles Clippers. So it's kind of been been a back and forth for that second best team in the Pacific Division. The Clippers, Lakers, and Kings are all you know working their way way back and forth there. But between there, it's been kind of right, right all right around the same record, all within a game of each other. As it stands right now, the Clippers twenty five and twenty one. They are in the eighth and final spot in the Western Conference playoffs. They are uh, sitting there. They they won. They they won their last game. They're four and six in the last ten. Things are kind of starting to shake out. I think in the West a little bit. You know the better teams are starting to step forward and really put together these. You know um, not necessarily streaks, but they're winning three out of four and those kind of things. And the Clippers are starting to slide a little. And they're they're right around a five hundred record ish. Um, you know as far as their their point differential from what I'm looking at, Con. I'm assuming the advanced stats tell us the same. Yeah, uh, they're 17th in that rating, negative 0.2, so right even almost. Um, 11th in offense, 111.7, and 22nd in defense, uh, 111.9. And what I wanted to note here is this, you could kind of see this coming, this decline coming from the Clippers, not because, oh, it's the Clippers and they're the surprise, they're obviously going to regress. But if you dig into how they were uh, getting their offense, they're top five in every field goal percentage metric, uh, mid-range, long, short, corner three, non-corner three, all threes. They're third to last in rim shot percentage, yeah. and they take the least threes in the league and fourth most mid-rangers in the league. And when you watch them play, it's the same thing, too. It's like Tobias Harris always jumping, uh, taking mid-rangers, Gallinari, Shea's a rookie. It's, it, it's shaking out to be what we expected. Um, so yeah, sorry, I went a little deeper than just yeah, the stats no. there, but <laughs> yeah, no, and that's fine because that's spot on. It really is. They are um, outside of Lou Williams. You don't have anybody that you're looking at as being anything resembling a three point sniper. Um, he's probably the the closest thing. You know, even I look look at their guards, right? Shea, who yeah, you know, I think we all love, and then Avery Bradley, like they're, they're still more comfortable shooting. You know, uh, Shea still, you know, he wants to primarily work in and around the paint. And then Bradley, he's you know fifteen to twenty feet, you know, versus being behind the arc. So it's it's definitely a uh, it, it's 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 tough. Now, one of the things that I think kept them in it is their depth. They they they've got one of the deeper rosters in the league. There's really nobody they go to at any point that you say eh, that guy's just probably not really an NBA rotation player on a good team. They're all you're know, right there, but the challenge is that's what they all are. They it's Tobias Harris is pretty good. You know, not pretty. He's really good in Gallinari when he's going is, is pretty good. But the rest of these guys, they're, you know, Shea's going to get there. You know, I think he, you know, but he's a rookie point guard. They're always, you know, up and down. But after that, it's like all these guys are, I like them, but I don't like them necessarily as, 
you know, the third through eighth guy. I like him a lot more as the fifth through 10th guy, you know, on a good team. Um, that's, you know, bearing it out. I do want to say too, if you're just kind of glancing at some of these things, you're like, that's a different, you know, uh, scoring differential or whatever I'm coming up with net rating wise. It's where you are using cleaning the glass for this. The reason we like to use cleaning the glass, cause you know, phenomenal site, check it out if you haven't um, there, but why we like to use them is they, they filter out garbage time. So when you get a team, you know, drill somebody by 30 or 40 points, they kind of throw that away because it's just not real. You know, you don't you're not getting anything of value out of that. So that's why we do go to them on that. But 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 Pete, I want to kick it to you on the Clippers real quick. Is it do you think they're going to hang around in this or are they a team you've kind of got your eyes on is, yeah, they're probably going to slide out as the rest of the season goes? Well, I've actually got a couple of things. On yeah, sure. So yeah, no, go ahead. I, I think that they are a team that kind of slides out of the playoffs because I, I feel like it's just not enough with what they have right now. And then I talked about it last week, but um, Gallinari and his injury history, he's been healthy, you know, for the season and it, and it's been great, but you know, he got a little banged up, missed the last game. And, and obviously it's not a long-term injury or anything like that, but I feel like they're one injury away, like a Gallinari to that's really going to hinder them. Um, but on the plus side of, of things, they did switch up the lineup last night. They added in um, Montrez Harrell to the starting lineup for Gortat, which is, you know, really a uh, bonus because Harrell is um, currently 11th among all NBA players in player efficiency rating. And then you also got a dose of Patrick Beverly in the starting lineup to pair with um, Gilgis Alexander and that moved up um, Avery Bradley to the three. Um, what's interesting, and I was actually surprised, um, you know, looking at the numbers with Beverly, obviously being one of the the best defenders in my opinion, and I think a lot of people's opinion um, in the lineup. If you put Beverly um, in that lineup, they've outscored um, or basically outscored opponents by nineteen point four points per hundred possessions. That's with Beverly Alexander. Tobias Harris, Gallinari, and Montres Harrell all together. <laughs> um, then you look at you know the defensive aspect of that, and I mean it's really made a difference there. Um, but f- you know for Gilgis Alexander, um, with him next to Bradley, teams have outscored the Clippers by nine point four points per hundred possessions. Um, and that's surprising because you look at Bradley as being a good defender. Well, this year he's only slightly above average as a defender. He's, you know, not shot the ball incredibly well. So if you keep that swap of necessarily putting in, um, Beverly into the lineup over Bradley, that could be something that could help the help their case. Um, then when you look at a guy like Lou Williams, um, he, during the, you know, basically the minutes that he's played on the floor with Harris and Gallinari, He's averaging about 24 points and six assists per 36 minutes. So I think that, you know, he's good to come in in a, you know, role that obviously he's good at just come in and be a gunner off the bench with Beverly in there. I think it really makes a difference for Gilgis Alexander because now he can focus on having the ball in his hands can kind of, you know, create, not really having to worry about, um, you know, Bradley necessarily, um, you know, shooting threes that he's not necessarily making this year. Um, but I feel like with Bradley in the starting lineup, they're six and one. Um, and that's with Beverly and or with Beverly in the lineup, they're six and one. 
So then you have Beverly and Gilgis Alexander. Um, and I think that really makes a, makes a difference because I, I just, I feel like the defensive impact, the ability to hit, you know, a couple of threes a game. I, I just think that change is something that they should look at long-term. And I, I love Avery Bradley, but I just feel like the struggles that, that he's having this season on the offensive side of the ball, I think it's enough maybe to shift him um, to that second unit. Yeah, I think with Bradley, the, the offense has definitely fallen off. I think the challenge with his defense, why it maybe looks a little worse than mm-hmm. it is when you really look at it in actualities. I think he he's played almost all of his minutes against you know frontline starters. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not benefiting at all from going against any backups. It you know, really what it is. You mentioned the lineup change. I think that was necessitated by two things. Gallinari's hurt right now, right. and and out. Um, and then. It is the Spurs. Um, a lot of these games go really small. They they play with Rudy Gay at the four, and then they really play three guards with Forbes, DeRozan, and White. So I think they wanted a matchup. So I think you could get away with that there. The, putting Bradley at the three against a lot of other teams, that's not going to happen. No, I don't. You know, th- I don't think that's know, a realistic but, scenario. But yeah, I, I. But but I'm with you. I I like the idea of getting Harold worked in there more. I think you know he's Harold and Williams. I. I don't think they're going to end up winning. Either one of them will win the six man. If Williams wins six man, it's going to be a lot on, not because he's not deserving, but also be on reputation. But I think they may um, kind of uh, uh, steal from each other um, being on the same team because uh, both, both of those guys have been really good. It's just, you know, with the Clippers, I just look at it as I, I think they're going to hang around in this, but I think a lot of that is some of the other teams too um, that are that are close to them in the standings. I, I, I just think, you know, we're going to talk about the Lakers and the Kings in a minute here, but I think that the Timberwolves, the Pelicans, the Mavs, I, I just think those teams are, I think they're maybe heading a, a different direction from the direction the Clippers are going in. So keep us moving here. Let, let's move on to the Lakers. Um, just battling injuries right now. LeBron James is still out. Rajon Rondo still out. Both of them getting closer. They should be back uh, relatively soon. But, you know, they're coming back, and now Lonzo Ball is hurt. He's going to be out uh, for four to six weeks. He's got a grade three ankle sprain, which which I learned doing some research uh, today for the Lakers Nation podcast that I was on earlier, was that it's a grade three is actually means that there's a tear of the ligament. Um, and that's, you know, that, that's tough. You know, that's tough to handle if you're, you know, uh, Ball and the Lakers. And it's, you know, in with Ball, Rondo, and James out, that's their three best point guard options. Yeah. So, you know, really not sure what they're going to do. I don't know if they're going to look at a short-term trade because even when Rondo comes back, and that could be as soon as maybe even tonight's game, um, they, they still need something else because it, it's it's really the, the next probably closest guy is Alex Caruso. Um, and he's their their two way guy, so it's it's really kind of a mess. So so Khan, it's I, I imagine the numbers, it's it's probably looks kind of okay or five hundred ish, but they probably have fallen off you know more recently here. Yeah, and they're currently sitting at fourteenth overall net rating at plus one point five uh, points per possession, one hundred eight point three at twenty first in the league, and then uh, sixth in the league in defense, one hundred six point eight. And while you guys continue talking, I'm going to pull up the since LeBron got hurt statistics as well. Perfect. And I will say that that defense, that's shocking. You know, I think we all expected this to be one of the worst defensive teams in the league. And they, they that was kind of bearing out. But then they stopped fooling around with those lineups with Kuzma and Beasley at the five. They, you know, it's been McGee and Chandler. I think that's made all the difference for them. So Pete Wilcon's pulling that up. It's the, the Lakers. They're not going to do anything that takes away cap space from next year 
That's right. not going to happen. But there are a host of of uh, expiring contract guys at the point guard position that they could look at because they, they've got to get somebody else in there. So I'm looking at guys like Trey Burke, Jose Calderon, uh, Tim Frazier, Raymond Felton. Uh, you know, if they wanted to swing a little bit bigger and go a little higher, Jeremy Lynn, but a guy like maybe Shelvin Mack could, could help them quite a bit. Ish Smith, if they wanted to you know, take on a little more salary this year, again, common theme, these guys are all expiring contracts because they're not going to take in anybody who has money owed past this year. But would you be looking at making a move for one of those guys just to shore up that spot? I think you kind of have to, as much as Alex Caruso played well in, in spurts, he's not a guy that you want to rely on behind yeah. Rondo. I know they use Lance Stevenson, you know, ball handling a bit. They've used Josh Hart ball handling a bit. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. I know Ingram obviously can handle the ball too, but interesting fit because Rondo obviously plays a different style than than Lonzo did, and I f- I felt like the team played a lot better with Lonzo in there. They you know more aggressive, faster pace, um, and Lonzo was playing really well. So I don't know kind of what direction they're going to look for as they're kind of getting guys back in bits and pieces like you mentioned rondo's coming back possibly um today and then you've got lebron coming right after that when lebron comes the whole landscape changes yeah so it's going to be interesting to see kind of how this all gets pieced together because kuzma's played you know phenomenally well um since lebron has been out and i i don't know it, it's going to be interesting come the next two three weeks with the trade deadline looming if they don't try to get off of like Wagner, I know he's been thrown out there. Um, you know, a couple of their other backup guys. I don't really believe the story of necessarily Josh Hart being a guy that they throw out there because I feel like he fits so much of a need defensively and then emerging offense. I think that's a guy you need to hang on to. But I don't I don't know. And you got the rumors out there that Luke Walton's always on the hot seat and I, I don't know. I, I think with the Lakers they have to do something to make sure they shore up a playoff spot because it's gonna be hard you know, with the Clippers right there, the, you know, we're going to talk about the Kings in a minute. They're really emerging. Um, you've got those two teams, you know, it's going to be a, a, you know, huge race for that ace spot. And, and if the Lakers really want to shore it up, they, they've they got to do something. Yeah. And I look at it with the Lakers, it's Contavious Caldwell Pope is obviously the guy you are looking at as, mm-hmm. you know, that's the kind of big money trade piece there, but he does have that no trade clause. Yeah, he's got to so. agree to it. That's yeah, exactly. He has to agree to go out. The other thing is now with ball out and Rondo coming, he's their best defensive guy against point guards along with Hart. So you kind of got to keep him around because otherwise you're just going to get chewed up. They play the Warriors tonight and I, you know, well, I think that, yeah, they have the Warriors tonight. Um, and we'll, you know, I would imagine Caldwell Pope starts and will probably be on Curry. That's, you know, one of the things he's kind of, I think became known for when he was back with the Pistons. He, you know, had done a nice job against Curry as, you know, good as anybody can ever do against Steph Curry. So, so we'll see what that looks like. So Con, did you have a chance to pull up those numbers? Yes. And before, so why you give them to us to, to answer the question right on the back of it, will the Lakers make the playoffs this season? So give us the numbers and then answer that question. I mean, if LeBron comes back in this week or next week, then yes, um, because, I mean, I just can't imagine LeBron missing the playoffs no matter what. I mean, we see what he does to get the team to the finals with that Cavs team. Yeah, I think he can make the playoffs. Um, but to get to the numbers, 
since LeBron got hurt. They are 19th, so down from 14th uh, for their whole season. 19th in net differential, negative 1.9. They're 27th in offense, so even worse than the 22 mark they have for the season. But their defense is third in the league in that span. And an interesting stat that I also pulled up, Inpredictable.com has some really interesting offensive and defensive uh, seconds per possession stats. All the best defenses in the league are like bottom 20 in defensive seconds per possession so that what that means is the the other the opposing team has the longest possessions against them and that makes sense right if you don't let them get into their move like sets quickly then um they struggle to score but the lakers are one or two shortest defensive possessions per uh shortest defensive seconds per possession which means that they get a lot of seals or they force a lot of quick turnovers and it's really it's just something that sticks out that oppo- opposing teams have really quick possessions against the Lakers, but they're also ranked third in defense in that span. So it's just a different style of defense than we're normally used to. Yeah, that's really odd. Hey, yeah, that's that's a cool find. Good good work on that. Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> Lakers' whole defensive they, this whole thing with their defense really kind of you know boggles my mind because it just doesn't. I don't know. I watch them and like it's. I just don't understand it, I guess, is, you know, the best way to put it. Cause I'm looking at, I'm like, none of these guys are, you know, they're, they're, they're okay. You know, I mean, they got a couple guys who are good, but it, yeah, a lot of it's strange. Yeah. And it's to, yeah, you're not making people work. I wonder if people are looking at it as like, we can get early baskets and are forcing stuff. It's, it's curious. This is something I'm going to definitely take a look at uh, more go, going forward. So, and I'm with, with con for, for what it's worth. I, I, you know, I struggle to see LeBron James missing the playoffs. I still think, you know, if you're the Warriors and you look across, you know, on that first weekend of the playoffs and LeBron is there in the eighth seed, you're just like, what the heck? Like what, you know, well, why, um, you know, and if you're anybody else, you're probably like oh crap you know are we even going to be able to get out of the first round just because he's that good you know he can win you know two three games on his own and then now all of a sudden you're in a series and who knows you know what happens there so so lakers you know I would keep an eye on them here. I don't think there's any kind of blockbuster coming because they're just they're not going to do anything to mess up their future flexibility, whether that be, you know, keeping pieces for an Anthony Davis trade or, you know, hoarding cap space for free agents or whatever. So I would, you know, keep keep an eye on them to make some small move, ideally probably at the point guard spot. All right. Surprise of the NBA season. You know, great story. Sacramento Kings, they are they are sitting right now in the tenth spot. They're game out of the playoffs, but they're also only three and a half games out of third. Uh that's how tight the the entire Western Conference is. They are twenty-four and twenty-two, and they've kind of dipped a little lately. They're five and five with their last ten. So playing right around that five hundred mark and their their numbers i think have slid a little bit right con the numbers have come slightly down um they're currently sitting at uh, 20th in the net differential at negative 0.6 uh 16th in offense 109.6 and 16th in defense uh 110.2 all right, so we're yeah, we're the profile of basically a 500 team, exactly. Um, which is you know even that though that's a massive step forward for the Sacramento Kings. It's you know rotation wise, they've actually had when everybody's available one of the more consistent rotations. They they 
you know, uh, Amon Schumper gets these rest days, these maintenance days on occasion, but they pretty much always go with Collie Stein, Bielitsa, Schumpert, Heald, and Fox. And then on the backup side, this is where things have changed a little. They've they've basically slid most of the veterans completely out of things, and they're going with Bogdanovich, Bagley, Giles, and Farrell as their primary primary backups, and then Justin Jackson, who Justin Jackson. This is a guy a lot of people were down on him. He was an older rookie. He hadn't played all that well, but he's really coming on. He's starting to really shoot the ball pretty well um, and become you know a you know a good good weapon there. Buddy Heald just played out of his mind the other night against the Detroit Pistons and made you know I think every single shot he took down the stretch, including the game winner. De'Aaron Fox, you know, right up there for the most fun players in the league. The Sacramento Kings are there for me. I love when I look and I'm like, all right, who's got the late game tonight? Oh, it's the Kings, and I'm so excited because I love watching them. They're 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 just so much fun. They, you know, they really play hard. They play together. Um, Dave Yeager, you know, that guy's a hell of a coach. You know, I know things didn't work out. Maybe in Memphis there were some bumps along the way early in Sacramento, and he kind of wants to do things his way, not necessarily what the organization wants. But but there there should be no question at all that this guy can really coach. So so Con, do you think the Kings are they going to hang around in this playoff race the entire year? Are they going to be? Like the Mavs and the Grizzlies, do you think there's a slide coming and all of a sudden we look up, you know, maybe a month from now and they're completely out of it? I mean, with the Kings, they, they're staying true to their identity. Um, so I think they have one that's going for them. Uh, and if they continue doing that, it's going to be hard to see them completely fall out. I mean, they I can definitely see them just miss it just because of how close the West sure. is. Uh, but I think they'll stay in the hunt. And another interesting stat here for Sacramento, they're second in the league behind OKC in um, seconds per possession on offense. And another thing that De- De'Aaron Fox really helps out is after turnovers, they're the fastest team um, to finish their offense. So, I mean, that's either a turnover or a bucket. But it's clear that... Sacramento, one, forces turnovers, and two, it gets out really fast when they do force those turnovers. God, shout it out again. Where are you getting these numbers yeah. from? Unpredictable. Unpredictable. Okay. Com, that's, yeah. These are awesome. These yeah. are really great. Um, I think, you know, that's, uh, you know, these are some really cool numbers. I'm definitely, shouts out, yeah, shouts out to Nate Duncan for putting me on. <laughs> no, that's great. Cause I, it's, I had not heard of this site before. So that's really, really good. Then, then, you know, I'm glad you, uh, you know, shouted that one out. This is really good stuff. And that's that I want to say something about Fox too. Cause that, that's a cool stat about, you know, kind of, you know, getting out and running after turnovers. I think the best thing in him is he is you know right we always loved john wall for the fact that john wall could speed up the game and play at whatever pace he wanted the cool thing with fox is fox is there but he's also realized now like i'm gonna slow it down he has had these games this year where if you just look at a box score you'd be like man he he looked like he was okay you know you know nothing bad nothing great but he completely controlled the game as a point guard. And that's what you want your point guard to do you want him there Pete. i think you're a pretty big fox guy too right yeah. yeah, and as as much as he's kind of learned to when to slow it down and just kind of pick his spots, he is the NBA's most productive player in transition, 2.61 net points per 100 possessions. Ridiculous. Um, and to me, he's the fastest guy in the NBA. I mean, Wall and, and Kemba Walker are right there, but I think I would I would bet my money on Fox. Oh, um, I would too. And, and, and he loses absolutely nothing with the ball in his hands. Exactly. He's, you and, know, he is, yeah, he's just, you know, yeah, he's just ridiculous. Just that, you know, just looking at the team as a whole, you look at Buddy Heald, and I know all people kind of, of razzed him a little bit when the 
thing came out that he basically was a year older than he was. But this month alone, I mean, he shot the ball incredibly well. Um, you know, he's sitting at a, you know, like Steph Curry level with, you know, 23 points. Uh, what is it? 23 points. And he's basically got a 68.2 true shooting percentage. And, you know, only 25% of his shots are, you know, within the paint. So that leaves 56% of his shots being from three. And, I mean, that's just incredible. He had obviously hit one of the best game winners, you know, you, you've seen all season against the Pistons. Um, and that was on Saturday. And then you factor in Marvin Bagley's back healthy. And he actually and started playing the, great. Yeah, playing he started the second half yeah. over Bielita, which yeah. I I agree with because I feel like Bielita's kind of taking a step back as far as production goes. And that's fine because you want Bagley to exceed. You want Bagley to get all the minutes you can. And not just on the offensive side of the ball, he's engaged on the defensive side of the ball. Look at what he did against Blake Griffin. He kind of slowed him down, you know, when it came to that second half. And and then you're throwing guys with upside like Harry Giles, Justin Jackson. Giles obviously still, you know, working his way back in as far as, you know, learning not to foul as much. And then Jackson, now he's actually shooting the ball from three, you know, pretty well. Um, I think he's still at, what, 37% now. And looking at Jackson, he's not aggressive, but you don't need him to be aggressive with Fox and healed in the lineup. So and Jackson think, plays a lot with Bogdanovich who he, yeah. he's got that part of it covered. That's what I was know, just so, going to go to yeah. with, with Bogdanovich, just the spurts of, of scoring off the bench, just what he can do with the ball, the aggressiveness to want to take the game winning shots and know how to, you know, play within the system, when to play up tempo, when to, um, you know, kind of defer to other teammates just that European experience. And, you know, I know we're going to talk about the Phoenix Suns, but that giving up Bogdanovich is is crazy because that's somebody that they really could, I think, would have fit well, um, you know, with Phoenix as well. But kudos to Sacramento for getting him. And then lastly, I want to go back to, um, you know, looking at Dave Yorger and just kind of where the, the franchise is. I feel like, you know, he has to get a substantial contract extension, and he deserves a raise for what he's done with all the chatter with the executives, you know, and then Vladi Divas and just, you know, the media out there and just all the stuff that that's a distraction in the past for and even, you know, the beginning of this season for Sacramento, how well he's managed this team. Um, it's just incredible job there. Um, and then the trade deadline, I think looking at guys like Zach Randolph, Costa Cupas and Ben McLemore, those are the three guys that they'll probably obviously look to to move out. If they don't, it's not a big deal, but I think those are the three tradable guys. Yeah. I mean, we could spend another hour showering love on the Kings and quite frankly, they deserve that, but, but we don't have time to do that. But you touched on it right there at the end. Last thing that we're going to say on the Kings here is they're not going to do anything to harm their future flexibility, but they do not have their first round pick this year. So there's no reason for them not to go for this and push all in and do everything they can to go for it. If that means give up Randolph and bring in a bigger contract guy or, or package Randolph and Kufus together and go, you know, pay for somebody who makes a ton of money. That's an expiring contract. That's fine. All those things are perfectly fine for the Kings to do. As long as they don't take on money, you know, 
into 2019-20 or even further down the line that's bad money those those you know things you know that that would be harmful and that would really hurt them but if they can go in and you know go get somebody who's on a you know big expiring contract that some teams looking to move off of they've been talked a lot about Jeremy Lin that's a deal that makes a lot of sense for them you know Yogi Ferrell's good but Lin has been you know just really fantastic so we'll see you know um what what that looks like you know for for the Kings going forward but it's you know it's been a lot of fun and Pete you mentioned a team they're kind of linked with because they made a big trade a couple years ago the Phoenix Suns that trade obviously disaster for the Suns they you know they're gonna have nothing to show for because you know Bender's gonna be gone Chris is you know already gone they gave up Bogdanovich it's just not not a good deal but the Suns you know they're they're you know really bad you know one of the worst teams in the in the NBA they're 11 and 37 they are that is the let's see the one two three fourth worst record in the NBA and that's only because the East teams are you know more bad um i guess is a badder i don't know <laughs> i'm supposed to actually worse. say that but yeah they're far worse the Cavs, bulls and knicks and they you know they, they don't even stumble into wins except i i heard something the bulls if they win to today against the Cavs, they're like six and oh against all the other terrible teams and mm. then five and you know whatever against everybody else who stinks so you know the bulls don't understand how to do this tanking thing oh <laughs> but the, the suns are um you know they've lost four straight now they're four and 20 and road games um just you know really just 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 awful and they've battled through through some injuries now you know booker's back but now deandre ayton's banged up their their wings are you know kind of there so i don't want to spend a lot of time on these guys i just you know i think it's your best hope for the suns the rest of this year is get and keep the young guys healthy and just play and if you lose you lose it's not the end of the world that's that's probably the direction to go but but the bigger point is with Phoenix is they have to make the most of this offseason, especially their draft pick. Because if you don't move this thing forward, Devin Booker already said it when he signed his extension. I'm done. I don't want to keep missing the playoffs. And I think Devin Booker is going to be one of these guys who he's going to come into this and say, I think he's going to get real loud real quick if they don't start showing real signs of improvement of I don't want to do this. I want to go somewhere where I can win. Is that kind of con? Do you think that is that the same read you're getting on Devin Booker? Yeah, just because he gets so much respect from everyone around the league, like all the top players really respect his game and being around that, being around the Team USA camps and all that, he's exposed to a lot of winning players. And when you see those players work and work out with them, then you kind of feel like you should be part of that. Um, and I think that's kind of what's happening with Booker. And I think he's good enough to play well on a good team. Uh, but it's just frustrating being on the Suns. But I think the Suns are doing it a little bit better than some of the other teams, where I think they're just in a tough situation where everyone in the West is so good. And yeah. they're still like one year away from really being king's level competitive like maybe surprising team type level competitive if they were in the east i think they would be firmly in the race for the playoffs like i think just 10th seed 11th seed somewhere around there um because one they'd be playing east more and two i think they're they're not that bad but also a reason why they're bad is because they got to starting d'anthony melton and figuring out their point guard situation which isn't fully figured out yet a little bit late let me read the stats and then talk oh, yeah, over to you. <laughs> no, it's all good. Because I know um, they're terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but not as bad as the four worst East teams or three worst East teams. Negative um, 8.8 net differential, 26th in the league. So four worst East teams, sorry. Uh, 27th 
on offense, 105.0, and 28th in defense, 103.9. And they're bottom 10 in almost in every cleaning the glass four factors metric besides uh, defensive turnovers. So what that means is they don't, um, they're good at forcing turnovers, basically. Yeah, and and then Pete, just the last thought on the Suns because I want to get get out of this and get back to a couple good teams. Mm-hmm. They is part of what they need to figure out the rest of this season, shaking it out between T.J. Warren, Mikael Bridges, Josh Jackson, and Kelly Oubre. Who the kind of keepers are there at that that forward spot? Is that something you think they really need to focus on the rest of the way? Yeah, they need to figure out, especially what they have in Jackson, because I don't. I'm he's the least um the least player that I'm high on out of out of those guys. I feel like obviously Warren's had an incredible season, shot the ball well from three. Kelly Oubre's been fantastic. He's a guy you have to re up if you're the Suns. I just think he fits very well um there and you know, obviously opportunities there. And Bridges, you know, didn't really get a chance at the beginning, but is has shown well um being in the lineup. But the the questionable thing is, you know, where do they go with development of a Kobo and and Melton? Kind of what they need to figure out there. You know, what's going to happen in the future? And lastly, I'm not sold on uh, Kakashkov being there. Not that I don't like him as coach. I think he's a you know very bright mind. I just don't know with as volatile as Robert Sarver is as a as an owner. I don't know that he lasts. You know throughout his contract, maybe even not even past this season, just based on kind of where they're going and just the frustration with the franchise, because obviously it's out there that they're trying to get funding for the new arena. So it's just a mess all the way around. Uh, I feel like Phoenix and, and Memphis have a lot of work to do, um, you know, right now. Yeah. As my, as my uh, buddy, Danny LaRue is fond of saying ownership is the greatest uh, competitive advantage in sports and especially in the NBA. And I will just say one thing, just last thing on the sun, Zach Lowe touched on this and I think he's exactly right. Deandre Ayton is really starting to figure it out on defense. He's been great offensively for a rookie, you know, all, all year long defensively. He was so lost. He was a complete train wreck, but he's really started, I think to figure it out. And that's, you know, he's a young big man. It takes young, bigs a long time to learn how to defend at the nba level you know he is only 20 years old he'll be you know 21 before the start of next season so you know i I think the Suns are in good good hands there in the the middle uh the pivot position there with with eight and i think you know they're they're going to be just fine you know with him especially as he figures this thing out defensively all right we're doing we're doing basically a show and a half here so let's get into it quickly central division the milwaukee bucks um you know i i called the kings the surprise of the nba and i'm not going to call the bucks that because i think we all thought they'd be good but i don't think any of us thought they'd be quite this good they have the best win percentage in the nba entering today's game again we're recording this Monday, the 21st of January, um, Martin Luther King Day. And the Bucks are 33 and 12. They have been fantastic. And Con, I know you 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 said it earlier, but best net rating in the NBA, correct? Yes, and that's because uh they back it up with the defense that yep. the Golden State Warriors don't really try on. <laughs> um <laughs> so I think that I I do think the Warriors could be number one if they were better on that end. Anyway, they're number one plus ten point one, not differential. And um 
I don't know where that ranks among history, but I know it's not too far down the list. Uh, yeah, that's pretty far up there. Yeah, teams, second. Teams don't crack double digits very often. Exactly. And maybe I can pull that up while you guys are talking. But offense, second in the league at 115.0. That's a full point and a half behind Golden State. So still, Golden State's offense is humming. Um, defense, fourth in the league at 104.9. Uh, they're great at getting defensive rebounds, so allowing the least offensive rebound percentage in the league to the other opposing teams. They're shooting really efficiently, um, not really turning the ball over, and not committing many fouls either. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was a little unsure of putting Malcolm Brogdon into the starting five when the season started. I really thought that would be Tony Snell's spot. And I thought, you know, because putting Brogdon in, I worried, like, what are they going to do behind Eric Bledsoe? They, they don't really have a, you know, backup point guard I like. They had Matthew Dellavedova that then they obviously swapped him and replaced him with George Hill. But that's worked out great. Brogdon's having just a, you know, really fantastic season. He suffered through some injuries down second year, but it's, Everything has worked out for the Bucs. Brooke Lopez, awesome signing, perfect fit uh, for them offensively. Ersan Ilyasova giving everything you knew he would give. George Hill now, good, competent, you know, backup uh, guard. DJ Wilson, this guy was on the roster bubble, yeah. um, you know, and now all of a sudden he's a rotation guy and it looks like, hey, maybe DJ Wilson was actually an okay draft pick. Um, you know, and they, they've got a lot of depth. I mean, guys like Thon Maker who have had good impacts in the NBA, he's not even playing. He's, mm-hmm. you know, completely out of the rotation. And then Christian Wood dominating the NBA G League. So if they need to go to a big that they can throw in, you know, and give some minutes to, you know, at some point if they, you know, need to rest guys or have injuries, all of a sudden they, they've got him there. So, so to on the box, it's, um, you know, P, what stands out to you that's made them so, so good so far this season? To me, it's just the influx of depth that they have that they can yeah. kind of work in and out of the lineup. Because if you look at, you just mentioned Don Maker not even playing, you slide in a guy, DJ Wilson, that everybody, including myself, kind of wrote off like, okay, he's not, he's kind of that fringe NBA player. I mean, he's, you know, playing exceptionally well, rebounding really well, you know, scoring in spurts. Um, what the Bucks are able to do is is get that transition buckets and, and really push the pace with guys like Eric Bledsoe in there. You've got Brogdon as another steady ball handler. And then Middleton's been fantastic for the last couple seasons, especially coming off that the major injury. I believe this, you know, three years ago, or was it two years ago? I think it was three seasons ago that he had the big injury. Um, yeah, that I'm not sure. for. Um, obviously, Giannis is huge there. Lopez is, you know, fit seamlessly. Um, and then we're not even talking about guys that, that that they played at the beginning of the season. You know, Dante Divincenzo, even though he's a rookie, you know, he played you know, decently to start the season. Now he's kind of learning from the bench as guys like George Hill get in the rotation. Sterling Brown's in the rotation now has played well, um, just all around just the, the death of this team. And then kudos to Budenholzer, just kind of changing the system up and, and getting, you know, the bucks to, to play kind of a different way where it's not, you know, all ISO onto Takumpo and, and having to rely on that spreading the floor has just been fantastic for the bucks. And I don't see anything but upside and, and as much as I am a, a Sixers fan and, and what, you know, the Sixers are able to do, I, I believe that the Bucks are just there now more so than the Sixers are. So I'm glad you mentioned Budenholzer in his system because here's my worry with the Bucks. Bud did this in Atlanta where they had fantastic regular season teams. Come playoffs, they just did exactly what they did in the regular season. 
didn't make any adjustments as other teams change and they adjust playoffs. It's always about the adjustments you make and then the adjustments you make to those adjustments. And now Bud hasn't shown that ability to do that, willingness to do that, whatever the case is. That's my my real lone worry with the Bucks at this point. They're either going to finish they're going to finish somewhere in the top 4 in the East. There's no doubt doubt in my mind about that. I think, you know, I still am of the belief that the Celtics will come on and will, you know, challenge um there that they're 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 kind of far out of it now, but I think they're really starting to figure some stuff out. Uh, we're going to talk about the Pacers in a minute, but they're probably not going away. Toronto's not going away. And Philly's probably not going away either. But I think the Bucs, they've got enough of a lead that they're going to finish up in that top half. It's just going to be – it's really hit the point with them is the regular season's all well and good. It's about what can you do in the playoffs. So it'll be really interesting to see what they go there. Con, is there something that jumps out for you that you're – when you watch the box? That's I mean Giannis obviously jumps off the page, but is there somebody or something else that they do that you're really like, man, this team is really really good. Well, I did want to. I pulled up another interesting stat for the sure. Bucks um, yeah, from from the same website. There, uh, they're digging into their defense a little bit more. They're really good at transition defense, number yeah. one in the league in terms of points per possession, and also that comes with the 30th ranked seconds per possession after a turnover. So they really are good at slowing teams down once they force a turnover or once they turn the ball over. Um, and another thing that sticks out to me player-wise on the court, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Bledsoe um, and what Bledsoe does with his new contract that he gets next year and whether or not he's going to play at this level because it's a trend with Bledsoe. Uh, that he plays well on his contract years. Um, And one thing you talked about, adjustments. Yeah, Bud didn't really make adjustments with the Hawks, but he also didn't have Giannis. And when you have Giannis, I don't know how... Giannis and space, (laughs) I don't know how much adjustments you really need to make because Jason Kidd just didn't give Giannis enough space. Budenholz already does that. And once you give Giannis space, you don't really need to do anything. dominant uh, Giannis is this postseason because I think he can take it up a, a, a notch or two um, because he's just insane. Yeah, I, w- I wonder that tradition, the transition defense stat that you brought up, that's really interesting. I think I wonder how much it plays into Brooke Lopez spends all his time around at the arc, so he doesn't have as far to go to get back. That's kind of build point. that wall. Yeah. I think Giannis, right? I mean, that guy's three steps and he's you know back in yeah. defensive <laughs> position. Uh, and then you got Bledsoe, and who's you know just still at, even at this point in his career, still a you know terrific athlete, you know, and get catch up mode on on defense. So yeah, that 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 is, but that, that that's good. You know, it's 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 interesting. I wonder you know how much that plays into it. I also feel like when they turn the ball over. Over. They don't tend to throw it away out on the perimeter, which is where you get those easier runouts. I think they tend to give it up more inside. Yeah. Um, I think you know that that could be part of you know doing that too. But that's you know good to see. Yeah, they're really really good team, and they're you know they're a fun watch. I really you know they're enjoyable. They play a you know fun style of basketball on a court. You know Giannis is Giannis, and you know watch him whenever you can. Also right, with it, that, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Just to add on to that last thing you said about the transition turnovers, um, it's a lot of Giannis drive and kick. And yep. since it's four out, when you drive and kick, there's only one guy really in by the rim. Exactly. Um, yep. And the guys are already back there. So normally when you turn it, not normally, but when teams turn it over, it could be like on a pass 
lateral pass uh, towards the wing, right? And that's really easy to give a bucket up on because there's no yeah. one back. Um, and also for anyone who's like skeptical about the stats of this new website that they're hearing about, I did kind of fact check that defensive transition. Cleaning the glass also has them number one in transition defense. So um, I'm going to keep on using this unpredictable website, which is really fun. Yeah, man, this is great. It's it's so funny. I grew. Yeah, I mean, Pete and I are a little older than UConn, but Pete and I grew up with pull up the box score, points, rebounds, and assists. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe turnovers, maybe block shots or steals, and then uh, and then then I think it was maybe when I hit high school, scoring differential started to become a thing. Um, beyond that, that was it. You know, it was uh, we we didn't have all these 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 things. So this is so cool. You know, where basketball has gotten to, and it's you know the ability to track data the way they do now. It's it's you know it, it's really awesome. It's uh you know this is uh you know it, it's the best sport in the world. I mean, there's no you know question in my mind. I, I love it so much, and you know things like this just make us that much smarter and make it that much more enjoyable. All right, it, it, this was not planned, but we get another surprise team. This was just complete dumb luck. This kind of turned into the surprise team episode here but the indiana pacers 31 and 15 third in the eastern conference they are three games behind the um the bucks and the raptors at the top of the conference those two are essentially tied at the top they they are um a game and a half ahead of philly and three games ahead of boston and the pacers are um seven and three in their last 10 they've won their last couple of games here they they just they're they're not going away there's been no slide nothing has happened they've they've played through some injuries to victor oladipo and miles turner and they just really don't don't lose lose anything and they've got you know not not only are they winning games and you could kind of see oh maybe they're winning a bunch of close games but they've one of the better differentials in the in the nba right con yeah they're fourth in the league in that regard uh five plus 5.9 points per possession um and on the offense they're 15th at 110.3 and they're really doing it all on the defensive end i think the uh, nba.com defensive rating might have them number one or did um a few days ago, they're third in cleaning the glasses ratings, uh, 104.5, and that's really not fouling, causing a lot of turnovers, um, and forcing the opponent to take tough shots as well. Yeah, and they have a super, super consistent rotation. They go nine deep when everybody is available, and it is the same nine guys Every single night, it's Turner, Young, Bogdanovich, Oladipo, and Collison start, and then it's Sabonis, Joseph, Evans, and McDermott off the bench. Occasionally, they mix in O'Quinn or Leaf, and but that's it. It's those nine guys. Nate McMillan sticks with those nine guys. Their substitution patterns are very, very um, similar and familiar, and I think that sometimes allows players to play with a level of consistency because they know I'm coming out at this point. Whether I'm, you know, playing great or playing bad or whatever it is, here's what it is. And then he mix and matches when they get to the end game situations with really whoever's playing best is who plays. And I think that creates a level of accountability with the players of, hey, if you want to close the game, play good. You know, and you'll you'll be out there at the end of the game. And it's it's funny because you look at this team, Pete, Oladipo's a you know, star, burgeoning superstar, maybe, um, there. But then you've got guys, the rest of these guys are just they're they're all just good you know not not nobody else is a real star here probably the closest thing is maybe miles turner but he's not he's not really that kind of guy but everybody else is just just really good you know kind of headlined by you know some smart trade acquisitions you know and sabonis and joseph that they got and then a couple really good free agent signings and guys like evans and mcdermott kevin pritchard's done a really underrated job here in indiana right yeah i mean if you look at it they're just so good at just 
fitting the pieces together. Yeah. You got Sub- DeMontis Sabonis, who's a double-double machine. He just recorded his 20th double-double of the season the other night. So then, Yeah, right in know, the mix for six-man of the year, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And then you've got Miles Turner back healthy. Um, still untapped potential, I think, there. You know, Bogdanovich is just an assassin from, you know, three-point land. Um, Thaddeus Young, you know, basically I kind of term him the Swiss Army knife because he's able to do, you know, uh, you know, a bunch of different things across the stat line, give you points, rebounds, you know, a couple steals, a couple assists, just really plays well into the role. Um, McDermott's hitting a couple shots, even though I, I feel like he, you know, kind of is is a guy that just is there, but I, I feel like if they do need that three-point shooting, he's able to provide it. Collison's played well. Corey Joseph has played well. Um, then you look at Tyreek Evans. For as much as they had to rely on Victor Oladipo to do everything in the scoring role last season, I feel like Tyreek Evans has picked that up. Even though he's not sometimes the most efficient guy, You know, he's able to score buckets quickly, and that's what you need. Um and, you know, He's I also, think Evans, you know, I, I think that's almost good for them. Yeah, you know, exactly. Because I think the rest of the guys are almost kind of hyper-efficient players. And I think mm-hmm. it's every once in a while it's good to have that different look, like that that almost kind of wild card guy. Yep. Like, like the other night I watched a game and he came down and he just started pulling up from three. And it's yeah. like, all right, come on, you know, <laughs> but he right. hit a couple of them. And then all of a sudden the other team's like, all right, I guess this is what he's doing tonight. And then they stepped out. And then in the second half, I don't even know if he took one because then he just started driving the ball on every play. Yeah. So he's kind of all over the place, but in a good way. Yeah. And he gets, he's actually passing the ball too. So yeah. it's not like he's always looking for himself. And the only question mark I have is Oladipo. I feel like even though he's, you know, obviously an all-star. I feel like the all-star break is where he's going to need a bunch of rest because I feel like his body's a little worn down. And so he's settling a little bit right now for shots, you know, and I I don't know. I I feel like you can't go back to last season's playoffs where everything was all, let's stand and watch Oladipo. They've got to figure out what can we mix and match against different teams, um, you know, come playoff time because you're going to have the Boston, you know, the, you know, Phillies, you know, Milwaukee, who I feel like potentially are are better teams. I feel like with Indiana and, and um Philly, they're neck and neck. I'm, you know, I know obviously Keith, you're a Boston guy. I'm high on Boston. I still think they can turn around even though they have, you know, issues that they've got to solve. Um, but I, I feel like they are the better team than Indiana. So I feel like from Nate McMillan's standpoint, as good as he's been as as a coach you know, on the defensive side of the ball, he's got to vary himself offensively and find different things that he can exploit for other teams in order for them to get out of the first round. Yeah, I think the challenge is going to be the four other teams at the top of the East are all pretty good defensive teams. And I think they're going to do exactly what you just said. They're going to throw guys at Oladipo and they're going to force – you know, it, they're going to force other guys to beat them. And unfortunately, that, that puts a lot on Bogdanovich and then the other guards. And, and they're not always cut out for that. It, it's going to be tough. As far as wrestling in Oladipo, I'm with you. I'd you know, spot him a game or two here and there if they can pull it off. Because I think what would be good is that gives Aaron Holiday um, some more time to play. And I think Aaron Holiday's looking pretty good. I, I think 
Collison or Joseph, one of the two is gone this summer because I think they're going to be very content to hand the back, at least the backup point guard role over to Aaron Holiday. And I think that's the right move to make. He looked really good uh, earlier this year when they were, you know, getting through some injuries. I think he's, you know, just one of those guys who can play, you know, the one or the two he's comfortable, you know, with the ball or playing off the ball. I think that's really good. And in speaking of this summer, you know, this is just, you know, here's this team that's, you know, already a really good team in the East. They've got Oladipo and Turner lost locked up long term they've still got uh Sabonis still on his rookie contract so they're they're really you know kind, kind of set there with, the, with those three guys McDermott is you know um there is a you know good quality bench guy and then it just tons and tons of flexibility I mean they I project them to hit the summer with around 40 million in cap space or so depending on where their draft pick lands out and that's just a number where you know that gives them the ability to do all sorts of stuff. And that should be, you know, really exciting if you're Pacers fans, you know, if they, they go further than expected in the playoffs, probably spend some of that on bringing guys back. But I think Kevin, They're they're starting to come around to, but I think he found a little bit of a market efficiency of, all right, I'm going to overpay guys like Collison and Bogdanovich a little bit, but I'm going to do it so that I only have a one year you know, risk on these guys. Um, Tyreek Evans, 12.4 million. That raised eyebrows this summer, but it's a one-year contract, so who really cares? It doesn't, you know, matter. It's it's kind of almost like what the Bulls tried to hit on with Jabari Parker, but, you know, that, that didn't work out. But it, do, it doesn't, you know, the, these things don't hurt you if you're you're the Pacers because if it doesn't work out, all right, it didn't work out, but it's only one year. Um, and I think it also keeps players motivated because then, then they're kind of constantly looking for that second contract. So it's, you know, they're, they're, they're really, really good. Con, I want to give you a chance to kind of give final thoughts on the Pacers if you've got anything else to add. Um, well, what I'm really kind of interested in is um, Miles Turner was a little up and down, but it looks like he's kind of turning it back around and figuring some stuff out here and, you know, more as we get into the second half of the season. Honestly, if I'm the Pacers, I just really don't want to face the Nets in the yeah. playoffs in the first round because, one, Karis LeVert's going to be coming back, too, for them, um, and they've been playing really well. I just, with the Pacers, Miles Turner's development is huge. Uh, that was unexpected, the amount of improvement he's shown on defense, um, and he could stretch the floor, so that's exactly what you want, right? The only thing maybe you want to add to his game is a little bit more lateral movement, quicker lateral movement. Yeah. Um. And Tyreek Evans, it's just a lot of solid pieces that I don't know is, like, is Oladipo, after you shut down Oladipo, are they going to be able to do what they're doing in the regular season in the playoffs Yeah. Uh, in terms of all the other role players? And I don't want to sound too down on the Pacers because they're doing everything right, but there's always a team that does a lot better um, in the regular season than in the playoffs. And... I feel like that's going to be the Pacers, but I don't want to put that on them just yet. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. And that, that's the tough thing. Yeah, somebody always has a really good regular season and then flames out a little earlier than expected in the playoffs. And we'll see see if it's the, the Indiana Pacers or not. So, all right, guys, we are going to close it out. That was a jumbo size show and a half edition of the NBA front office show. Thank you guys so much for hanging with us here for this long. This was you know a lot of fun. It was good. I, I checked about a million times. We did record. So um, if you're hearing this, we got it right. And it's going to come out this time around. So 
you know, super excited. Um, you know, great day of hoops. It's just just getting cranked up right now. Is uh, it's Monday morning, Martin Luther King Day. Kind of turned into a showcase day for the NBA. Uh, we've got basketball games all day long, twelve thirty straight through until one in the morning. Um, you know, and a bunch of good games on the schedule. You know, really, you know, just if you're an NBA junkie, it's really good. I know for me, it's it's really really cold here in Orlando, so I'm gonna you know stick inside today. I was gonna do it anyway, but now I have a you know very good excuse. Um, Con, tell everybody where to find you on Twitter and let them know about kind of your new, um, you know, kind of exciting uh, thing you got going on. Yeah. So we, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at iconic. Also follow the podcast that I host uh, at the bench mob NBA. Um, and we're having, if you're in the Boston area, hit me up on Twitter. My DMS are open, uh, or at the bench mob, either one. Um, and we're doing this event where it's a live mock trade deadline, uh, in conjunction with, the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. It's going to be in the Boston area. Um, if you are in that area, February 28th, so the Thursday right before Sloan, if you're going to be in town that Thursday, sign up. Um, I'll post a link again in the show and on Twitter. It's on it's on my Twitter account and everything. So it's going to be a really fun event. We're going to try to get some NBA uh, league and media personnel out there as well. And it's going to be a full day of just pretending like you're a front office on trade deadline day, making moves for your squad with a team of three or four people. So it'll be a fun time. Uh, and yeah, that's all I have to plug. Yeah, man, that's going to be an awesome thing to do. A lot of fun to have there. Pete, tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Pete Toll MBA. So it's P E T E T O A L MBA. Um, always, you know, open to talk basketball. I'm also a big um, movie junkie. So now that um, my son's getting a little bit older, I'm able to get out of the house a little bit more. And <laughs> and uh, so, you know, obviously a big um, spring and summer worth of movies with a couple of the, the Marvel movies coming out and um, some other some other cool movies. So eventually I'm going to start a, um, a YouTube uh, talking movie reviews and different things like that. I have a gigantic collection of of movies. So, you know, kind of looking to get into that a little bit just as a little small side. <laughs> oh, there you go. There it is. There you go. Con's branding it for you. He's he's ready to go. I got you. I will I, I will vouch for Pete. I've done uh, several um live video shows and I've seen his movie collection behind him and it's uh it, it's impressive to say the least. So um, you know, with, with that and yeah, I'm with you, man. That uh, Marvel movies, we got Game of Thrones coming back, NBA playoffs this this spring is just gonna be awesome i am so you know excited for for this to come around and get get going there um you know you know where to find me on nba i'm at keith smith nba i'm on twitter rather um <laughs> i no, not in the nba I, I wish um but keith smith nba on twitter my um you know columns are going up at yahoo.com i did the 10 most tradable contracts 10 least tradable coming out this week couple more trade deadline build up pieces coming out and then after that we're planning some cool stuff because after that my eyes will turn to the off season for several of the teams and start thinking about where are we going forward as we you know enjoy the rest of this regular season and the playoffs again thank you guys for hanging in here this long with us this is the nba front office show and we will talk to you next time Drop a line. Get your feet wet.
My feet are wet. Here's the drain plug. You put the plug in the drain, right? Ah, it's on the dock. There's a reason they say curse like a sailor. Ah, Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. And now, an ad from Dad. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Yeah. Tell you another way to save money. Don't buy those uh, expensive coffees every morning, you know. Then you can save up for a, I don't know, really nice dress shirt. I'm just saying. It's great that you feel comfortable here at work, but, you know, an adult could walk in. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.